Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for opening your schedule, opening your time, whatever you're doing for jumping into Buffalo Rumblings on the Buff Hub. I'm your host, Steve Vega, and today is a very special day because Bruce Nolan is joining me on the Buff Hub, and we are going to discuss linebackers. Mr. Bruce Nolan, how are you, sir? I'm fantastic, Steve. If I was doing better, they'd lock me away and think I was crazy. (laughs) On the buff hub. How can I not be good? I'm on the buff hub with Steve. This is this is a big deal. This is literally the biggest thing I've done since starting podcasting. This is I'm super excited. I'm giddy. Uh, I feel like a kid meeting my hero. Uh, you know, I was listening to Bruce Nolan's takes for years. Okay, guys, for years, and um, you know, it goes back takes me back to my Florida days where I was a very lonely Buffalo Bills fan. Believe it or not. There are more Buffalo Bills fans in Vegas than there are in Florida, at least from who I've met. So uh, I definitely feel a lot at home in Vegas. But um, Bruce, how about you give people a little bit of a background about yourself real quick? Because that's what I always do with guests. And also just talk to them about your other takes that you do throughout the week. Well, I'm not going to give you too much background because the FBI might be listening. (laughs) But (laughs) I've been with Buffalo Rumblings since goodness gracious i think it was mid fall of 2018 so we're coming up we're coming up on two years somewhere at some point during the 2020 season it will be two years with buffalo rumblings and i have a podcast the bruce exclusive which is on thursdays and fridays on this exact same network and you should you should listen to me too because i i'm almost as good solo as i am when i'm with steve (laughs) <laughs> so that's that's a benefit, I think, to everybody involved. Guys, we're super excited. And listen, if you've never listened to Bruce Nolan on the Almighty Takes, you need to jump into that this week coming up. And uh, let's just jump into this right away. I want to talk about Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds real quick. Do Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds have the same success going forward without each other? I think they do. I think they do overall. I think that the one of the things that people talk about with linebackers a lot is they talk about the communication between the two of them. And, and that's important and that's good. But I have always been of the opinion that when it comes to linebacker play, it has a lot more to do with who's in front of you than who's next to you. I'll give you a great example. So in the, early, in the mid-2000s, the Baltimore Ravens kind of got away from their big defensive tackles style of defense. And Ray Lewis kind of complained about it a little bit leading up to the NFL draft and said, you know, I need those guys to keep me clean. Basically is what he said. I need these big body defensive tackles to keep linemen off of me so I can run to the ball and do what I need to do. He didn't complain that he needed more help next to him. And I think that's an interesting example because he didn't say, Hey, you know, in order for me to be my best, I have to have a good guy next to me. But you never hear linebackers talk about that. Instead, they went out and drafted Haloti Nada, is what the Ravens did. Yep. So when the Ravens wanted to help their linebacker be the best version of himself, they didn't give him a fellow paired linebacker, a you know, a Robin to his Batman. Instead, they got him an Alfred, someone who was willing to do the heavy lifting to make him look better. And so I think that the big key to Milano and Edmonds is not just, hey, let's tackle better. Hey, let's get off blocks better. It's also not getting stuck on them to begin with, which comes from swapping out Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson 
for Mario Addison and Vernon Butler, getting the next step from Ed Oliver, getting better play up front, having AJ Epinesa in the mix. I think that those things are more connected to Milano and Edmonds having success than each other are. And I just don't think we think of it that way, but probably we should. You know, that's a great point. Several great points actually in that point. And one thing for me that I want to look at is the main point for me is a balanced attack has helped them become more effective. And when I look at Matt Milano and when I look at Tremaine Edmonds, the one thing I see is that they, they are only successful because they benefit off each other especially in blitz packages, whenever they're either one of them's going to blitz and one of them drops into coverage. It's they're always alternating, but it's so beautiful to see when they both blitz because like you said, you talk about in the trenches, holding down the fort. They have no blitzing lanes last year. If they didn't have a solid front, which I think got better this year. And you look at Matt Milano's 101 combined tackles, right? You look at Tremaine Edmonds, 115 combined tackles. I'm pretty sure. 80% of those tackles were together. Uh, You know, I I don't see how that was Tremaine Edmonds and the outside, you know, outside edge rush and him always just getting that, getting that double team on a tackle. I just felt like every time I kept seeing their highlights, their tape and trying to break down, you know, how they were be able, how were they able to just be stellar on the defensive side? It was because of that. Um, I think they play really well off each other. Uh, You know, I am, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm nervous about the first couple of games with the defensive front getting into a groove um, and then relying on blitz packages to get pressure, stop the run. And, you know, that's something I hope we, we, we don't have to worry about in regards to next year. I'm, I'm really more focused on trying to see Tremaine Edmonds really run that mic spot like a true middle linebacker. I felt like they've, they've definitely asked him to do things that are a little bit out of the box because obviously he's huge. He's fast. He can, you know, that passes down and whatnot. But um, I feel like whenever he plays relaxed and he's in a zone, he is unstoppable. He was ranked. Uh, I mean, I was looking up on CBS sports. I mean, he was ranked 10th in the NFL. Uh, it was his second year. It, it's incredible. I mean, for, for me, looking at a guy like him, having a guy like him to manage um, our defense is a huge thing. And especially having someone that we can build our defense around. Now, if we're going to talk about the Italian stallion, Matt Milano, People are going to get upset at me for saying this, but yes, I think I would resign him over Deion Dawkins. I'm sorry. I just love defense more. I feel like having Matt Milano is very rare on the defensive side. I don't remember the last time we had uh, a linebacker in Matt Milano's stature, the way he plays. I mean, sideline to sideline, covering big tight ends. People never look at his tape when he covered Rob Gronkowski, and they should. He did a fantastic job. Um, and again, that was at the beginning. It's, it's, he's just getting going. And I looked at his numbers, and I, his numbers just increased once Tremaine Edmonds got in there. But um, you know, for me, that's pretty much where I stand. I feel like they're balanced together, and on blitz packages, I feel like that became an apex of our defense um, for both of them dropping in and out of coverage in order to get pressure on the quarterback and whatnot. Yeah. How about we jump to the second question real quick? So obviously we had a big loss um, going into this season with uh, Lorenzo Alexander. So let's just be frank. Let's just ask the question. Who do you think is the future Lorenzo? Nobody. There is no future Lorenzo. I mean, you have to think about the things that you asked Lorenzo Alexander to do during his tenure 
with Sean McDermott. And that was, there's three parts of what Lorenzo did. He was the strong side and weak side linebacker, both simultaneously. He did Will and he did Sam in, in base defense. So when there's three linebackers on the field, sometimes he was Sam, sometimes he was Will, but he's the outside linebacker in a 4-3 base defense. In addition, he played special teams. And in addition to that, he gave you inside-outside pass rush versatility, rushing from the end spot, rushing from the defensive tackle spot occasionally. You don't replace that with one guy. That's not a thing. Looking around the league, there's not people who do those things. So this idea that we're going to find someone, leading up to the draft, it was a popular discussion topic, was, hey, can we find someone to replace Lorenzo? The answer is you don't. You don't replace Lorenzo Alexander. Not because Lorenzo Alexander was an unbelievably effective player. He was just an unbelievably versatile player. Lorenzo Alexander was a good player for us for a long time. But what made him valuable wasn't that he was elite in any of those areas. What made him valuable was that you didn't have to waste multiple roster spots on these roles. You could have all that done on one player. And when you look at the way that the Bills attacked free agency this offseason, I think they replaced aspects of Lorenzo Alexander, if you look at it that way. So I said there were three parts. The first was your outside linebacker, typically your Sam, he's going to cover up the tight end in base 4-3 packages. And that's A.J. Klein. The second part was the special teams aspect of Lorenzo Alexander. And that's Tyler Matakavich. And the third part was the inside-outside pass rushing, rushing from the inside, from the defensive tackle position, rushing from the outside. That's Quentin Jefferson, who did both for Seattle. So the Bills actually signed three players, each one of whom replaces an aspect of what Lorenzo Alexander did. That by itself should tell you that there is no future Alexander. There is no future Lorenzo. There, there never was before him, and there very likely won't be after him. Instead, you replace aspects of Lorenzo Alexander and you piecemeal together the role that was previously occupied by one person. Amen to that. Look, I'm going to be honest with people. It's extremely rare to have a linebacker as versatile on the field (laughs) on special teams and defense like Lorenzo Alexander. His game was built over 10 years he didn't explode off the scene until he hit Buffalo and have that had that, I think it was 2016, 12 and a half sack year. It's not normal, right? So this was a situation where he came in when uh, uh, Rex Ryan was here. Rex Ryan thought he we could fit him in the defense, whatever have you. I applaud Rex Ryan for that. Now, this is a very intriguing topic because this is a very uh, relevant topic, right? This is happening with several teams when it comes down to losing a very significant player and having to try to figure out a way on how to fit someone else in that void. You look at Brady and Stidham. How about we go more relevant with the Bills? How about Shady and Devin? How about going from decade to another decade, not having a solid Mike linebacker since forever, right? London Fletcher, and then Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, that's the first, um, those are the first two linebackers that pop in my head as the Mike um, that I look at and I'm just like, you know, that's an intriguing uh, situation there, obviously, right? But when we're talking about Lorenzo Alexander, yes, we had to replace everything he did on the field. But I am going to say this. I think with him not having to do all, you know, having to wear all these hats, 
right? Let's say we have Lorenzo again this year. He was, and he's just as effective as he was last year. Uh, I definitely see us being more effective this year without him because there's going to be more gas in the tank. Right. And one thing that he was able to do, which I'll get into in, um, in the last point we're going to talk about last question was he was phenomenal at sealing the edge when it came down on run defense. Um, I think he really helped a lot bringing that, that presence. And, you know, we're going to see what does AJ Epinesa bring in year one, but you know, that's going to be a topic for another time. Obviously we're talking about Quentin Jefferson. We're talking about um, guys who are coming off several years being in the NFL, you know, Trent Murphy. So how much of a role are they going to play, especially on key downs when you have speed backs running to the outside? Um, I'm pretty sure that's why you saw Lorenzo on the outside for certain packages to stop these guys from running to the outside quick enough. So let's jump into our next question. How do our linebackers rank amongst the elite trios, duos of the NFL? So I went through and I had to rank all of the linebacker duos in the NFL for the purposes of this question. And I came up with the Bills in sixth place. So here are the ones I have ahead of them. Number one, I have Seattle with Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. Uh, Bobby Wagner is the quietest Hall of Fame player I think I've ever seen. I was on a podcast with uh, Pat Moran not too long ago. We were talking about if the NFL never came back ever again, what current players active would be Hall of Famers. And I jumped in and said Bobby Wagner as one of the players. And when you go through his list of achievements, you're like, oh my gosh, he is really good. And all of a sudden it snaps into you. You're like, oh my gosh, he is a Hall of Famer. When you start to talk about three, four, five, six all pros for some of these players, you're like, okay, well, that that's that's a really, really good player. And that's the kind of player that Bobby Wagner is. At number two, I have Dallas with Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith, both of whom are very, very good players. Jalen Smith ended up being a steal for the Cowboys. Sometimes you take a chance on some of these players who are coming off serious injury, cough, Wills, he cough, and sometimes they don't necessarily always work out the way that you want them to. But Jalen Smith has been that for the Dallas Cowboys. Leighton Vander Esch was very, very reasonably discussed as being one of the top linebackers in the league since he walked in the door. At number three, I have Tampa Bay with Devin White and Levante David. Levante David, I think, is the most underrated player in the NFL. If you were to ask me right now, Bruce, the most underrated player in the NFL, it's Levante David. Absolutely. I do not not think people talk about it at all. And Levante David has been an absolute stud since he walked in the door. I think Levante David's a Hall of Famer. I think that he, Bobby Wagner, and Luke Keekley have been the three best linebackers in the NFL for a long time, and nobody ever talked about anybody but Luke Keekley. Not because Luke Keekley's not a great player. He was a great player, but he wasn't the only one in that stratosphere. Levante David is fantastic, and Devin White just walked right in the door, and by the end of the year last year, very low-key, the Bucks had a really good defense last year. They didn't start off that way, but Raheem Morris took over. They took some, they took some different things in that defense. And by the end of the year, the Bucks defense is playing really well. Fantastic. In, as a matter of fact, in fourth place, I have Minnesota Vikings with Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr. Eric Kendricks played out of his absolute mind last year. And because it's Minnesota and because it's linebackers, it's really hard to kind of get the national recognition that is necessary. Anthony Barr, if you remember correctly, was going to go to the Jets and then he reneged on that offer. And the Jets were all upset about it. He went back to Minnesota. He didn't have quite the year that we wanted to. But the thing that gives you benefit with Anthony Barr is you mentioned 
how do you replace someone like Lorenzo Alexander? Anthony Barr is a more athletic, younger version of Lorenzo Alexander. He can do all that stuff. He can rush from the edge. He can play into the line of scrimmage, but he can also cover in space better than Lorenzo Alexander did. He's an extremely versatile player because he's just a freak athlete. I remember coming out, one of the discussions about Tremaine Edmonds was, could you possibly make him a 3-4 outside rusher because of how long he was? The same types of discussions were had about Anthony Barr when he came out. And what, is, is he a pass rusher? Or is the off-ball linebacker? That's a good problem to have because it means you can do everything so well that you can be versatile, and that's important at the linebacker position. In fifth place, I have San Francisco. Fred Warner, absolute stud. Quan Alexander obviously struggled with injuries last year, but I think was a great signing for the Redskins. Uh, sorry, for the 49ers coming over from Washington. And the you know the thing about Washington is that they they didn't really see what they had. In Quan Alexander. And now we know he got a big contract, but in San Francisco's defense, San Francisco has this habit of just kind of churning out really good linebackers, you know, for all Seriously. those years. Oh my God. You know, for all those years, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman, and, you know, they, they had good linebackers, and now here they are again with good linebackers with Fred Warner and Quan Alexander. And then I have Buffalo. Buffalo in sixth place, Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds. I think they both need to be better tacklers. If you look at the if you look at the tackling numbers, the missed tackle percentage and things like that, it doesn't reflect super highly on both of them. The fact that they're athletic, the fact that they can play well in space is good. I hope that having a better defensive line in front of them will help them with the tackling. It means you can get the angles better. You can get off blocks better. You can square up a little bit better. You can have those things in front of you. I think Jordan Phillips actually hurt that a little bit more than people were interested in talking about. And when I said that, they, of course, yelled at me because they all love Jordan Phillips and wanted him to resign. But, hey, you know, it is what it is. But that's where I've got the Bills linebacker do. I got them in sixth place. I think it's very reasonable. I think being top 10 in the linebackers with room to grow is a positive spot to be. You know, one thing for me that I look at is how do I compare them to these top ranked linebacking cores? And I think it's hard for me to compare them. Reason being is because I don't feel as though they found their identity yet. That's what really frustrates me about watching them on the field. They're great. I mean, when you see them play well, they play really well. Uh, But, you know, when you think about those great linebackers, you know what they do well. I don't know exactly what Tremaine Edmonds does amazing yet because I haven't seen him hit really hard and he's like 6'5". Um, I have seen him cover pretty well. I have seen him blitz really well. I have seen him wrap people up, you know, for tackles for loss, um, you know, bat the ball down. But I guess that's just not normal in my head for what a middle linebacker is supposed to do. I almost feel like he plays like an outside linebacker better than he would as a middle linebacker because middle linebackers are typically knocking teeth out all the time in my head, right? And I feel like for Matt Milano, he fits that mold perfectly for his position. And it's just like, It's frustrating for me because I look at a team like Tampa with Levante David, which, you know, I grew up watching Tampa and, you know, I've seen their growth throughout the years and Levante David has been an unsung hero for that team. And when he hits people, he hits them hard. And when he runs sideline to sideline, he will run with anyone, anybody, anywhere. He can chase down Alvin Kamara. That tells anyone, if that doesn't tell you enough, I don't know what does. Right. So for me, I have them, I have them ranked actually at 10th. I know it's going to sound crazy, but it's because I want them to be 
that top five this year, but they need to solidify what their identity is. I pretty much have the same exact rankings that you have the Seattle up top, a San Fran, Tampa, you know, a lot of these NFC teams. The only thing it's, it's just hard for me to break down how much further to push them up from that 10th spot. Because, you know, when I kept looking at different articles and I kept looking at, you know, what uh, Tremaine Edmonds, because I feel like it starts and ends with Tremaine Edmonds. Um, I don't think it starts and ends with, you know, who's surrounding him as to what the Buffalo linebacker core can look like. Uh, you know, I do think that they got it right. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, 10th place is very respectable, especially going into your second year. Holy smokes. Uh, the year he had, uh, you know, 21 passes defended. That that just t- goes to tell you that when they're trying to run drag routes, when they're trying to run slants, they have to get it well before that ball hits the middle of the field or at least try to throw it above him, which is very difficult to do when you have a wingspan like Tremaine Edmonds uh, you're going up against. So for me, I have them ranked right at 10th. I think uh, we're so close. This is a year I almost want to hashtag it, the identity year, because this is when we're going to really find out what our young players are going to look like for the foreseeable future and who we should invest into, right? Because this is a, this is a big year for a lot of players. You look at obviously Matt Milano, you look at the offensive line, uh, you know, you look at our cornerback position. We have a lot of heavy investing to do very soon. And this year is going to be a very significant year for those decisions. Um, so how about we jump into the last question here um, in regards to the void, right? Of what people are, they're saying they're uncomfortable about losing Matt Milano. So do the bills lose continuity exponentially if we need to fill the Milano void? I don't think we lose it exponentially. I do think we lose it in a linear fashion. I think that Matt Milano, I made a comment at a, on a game last year where I said, folks, I, I think Matt Milano is the second best player on this defense behind Trey White. He was playing at the time. I think he was playing better than Tremaine Edmonds. So I think Matt Milano is a really good player. And I think that Matt Milano is a better linebacker than Deion Dawkins is a tackle. And I don't think that that's a super hot take by any means, but they may not get re-signed in that order because of positional value, which I think is really the interesting part of this, is that when you look at the Sean McDermott defense since he was in Carolina, they've had good linebackers. They had Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley, and those were the, the guys. And then they bring on Shaq there at the end, and he becomes that big nickel sort of player, that versatile, you know, sub-package defender that Carolina really wanted him to be. And you think to yourself, what does the McDermott defense look like with bad linebackers? And you think, I, I don't really know. I've never seen it with bad linebackers. Now, we did see it with Ramon Humber for a bit, <laughs> but Matt Milano came in as a, as a rookie and really played well from the go. And so I don't know is the answer. I don't know how much of a, I don't know how much of a step back that is because it's such a foreign concept. You know, I have to go back to, I have to go back to Sean McDermott's time with the Eagles to find a linebacker crew. That's not quite as good as the ones he has had in Buffalo and in Carolina. And he still had reasonable linebackers there. So you go, goodness gracious, what does it look like when Sean McDermott has a defense that doesn't have good linebackers? I I don't really know. So I don't think we lose it exponentially. And I don't think the continuity thing is as important on the linebacker core as it is other places on the team, most notably the offensive line, 
from a communication standpoint or wide receiver to quarterback and things like that for the reasons we talked about earlier. I think it matters far more what's in front of you than what's next to you. But I do think it's a big loss if we don't resign Matt Milano because Matt Milano is a good player. I think I think if you're probably listing the, the top eight players on this team, just from a talent level standpoint, effectiveness at their position, I don't think you can leave Matt Milano off that list at all. And so anytime you lose a player that good in a defense that is linebacker centric, I think that's going to hurt. So if we're not able to resign him, I think it's a big deal. I do. But I don't know if I'd go as far as to say exponentially, but definitely in a linear fashion, it's going to hurt. You know, I, I think if you got a guy like Rob Gronkowski still in New England and a quarterback like Tom Brady still in New England, I think I'm going to feel exponentially hurt about um, you, you losing a guy like Matt Milano. As of right now, if we're talking about relevancy on how we're going to handle our division, this is where I get scared that maybe the Bills organization is looking at the offensive line versus his position and saying, I mean, we're not trying to cover those guys anymore, right? So maybe we can take a hit for a year or two until we find another guy. Because I think people are more heavily invested in the NFL to the offensive line than they are to linebackers for sure. Um, when it comes down to you look at payroll, I mean, you look at it, it's, I mean, we're still talking about Jason Peters. I mean, you're get, are you serious? Like he's still getting paid. Ladies and gentlemen, he was a Buffalo bill. I don't even know how long ago must've been 15 years ago, but the longevity and the necessity for protection on a quarterback is, you know, it's huge. Um, the reason I stand on the other side though, for Matt Milano is because in the games where we're having to cover these gazelle tight ends, although they're not in our division, we're not going to be able to. Teron Johnson is not big enough on the nickel position. When we play, if we play a nickel scheme against those guys, it's not going to work because here's what's going to happen. You have those guys who are also gazelles, but they can block and help with the run game. You need to stick to your four, three, defense to stop the run and also stop those tight ends. You look at Evan Ingram, you look at George Kittle, these, they're just getting started guys. And they're, these are brand new players that are coming into the league and they're lighting teams up and guess what else they're doing? They're taking teams to the Super Bowl. All right. So you have to understand you also Travis Kelsey for crying out loud. I mean, the guy, even at, he's just getting better and better as a veteran. It's amazing to watch. I want Dawson Knox to turn into that. That's another topic. But, you know, I'm looking at the way the NFL is changing, and I think the investment has to be on the defensive side. Losing Matt Milano would really hurt our defense, and we're gonna, we will see it really quick. There's no one we can plug in right away at his position to do what he does. You know, maybe they'll show flashes and signs, but that's not good enough. When you need to win games... You need to have Milano and Tremaine on the field together. You need that. We saw that time and time again. They gave the offense a chance to get back into the game. Whether if it was, you know, threatening on blitzing, you know, stopping passes, whatever it was, they did a great job on the defensive side. So, yes, for me, I stand on that very strongly. I just, I, am not going to be moved from that. I want Matt Milano to stay in Buffalo. I will be very upset if we're not able to resign him, figure out something, right? If we need to get rid of Trent Murphy or someone off the defensive line, we need to do that. 
Um, I don't think anyone in the secondary has to go. I just think we need to make cap space. We need to make that happen. And as a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, I did talk with Anthony Marino and we broke down. This was a while back on the cap space stuff uh, when I was not on Buffalo Rumblings as a platform. Um, and I want to talk about it again in the future um, as that day comes closer because we broke down how that cap space is going to work out. And it is very possible to restructure contracts in order to re-sign a guy like Matt Milano. And guess who else with that? Deion Dawkins. So yes, we're torn between the two because we're looking at the cap space right now and it's hard to see how that's actually possible. But with player cooperation, restructuring contracts and making players realize you're not as effective as you think you don't deserve this money or we're going to cut you. I mean, that's sometimes what you have to do. Um, I think Brandon Bean is very smart on how he approaches our cap space. Um, but also he, I'm pretty sure he's thought about this Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins thing two years ago. <laughs> you know, I, we're looking at what the product is like on the field. And that is a product of what our leadership has done up top to set everything up with the personnel. So that's where I stand. Bruce, do you have anything else to throw on top of that? No, I think you summed it up pretty well. Overall, I don't think it's impossible that we can re-sign both of them. I think that Milano is a good player, and I think he's the type of player you'd like to re-sign. There's always this question when it comes to re-signing is, how far down the talent scale do you go before you stop re-signing people? For example, do you only offer extensions to people who are elite? How about very good? How about good? How about solid? How about average? How, like, like how far down you, do you go? Because the way you get yourself into trouble is by giving people contracts that don't match up even close with the tier of the player that they are. You don't get into trouble as a franchise by giving elite players elite contracts. You get into trouble by giving okay players elite contracts. You don't get into trouble by giving solid players solid contracts. You get into trouble by giving solid players very good contracts. And so the question is, how far down the list do you go before you say, I can replace that guy in the draft for way cheaper? And I am of the opinion that Matt Milano is above that threshold. And as such, we should look to resign. Yes. Well, I, it, it's nice to know we're on the same, same wavelength. I feel like with all these questions, I feel like we're definitely on the same wavelength as far as um, our, line, our linebacking core goes and what we're capable of. And uh, it's going to be an interesting season to see how the chips fall, but more importantly, how we're going to put it all together. Is this the year we put it all together? Because I think defensively we're there. Um, I wanted to jump into the linebackers just because I felt like that's been a lost topic for a little while. Um, but um, Bruce, thank you so much for jumping on the third episode of the Buff Hub. I'm your host, Steve Vega. If you have not checked out uh, Bruce's takes throughout the week, you need to do it. It's Thursday and Friday, correct? Thursdays and Fridays. Thursdays and Fridays, guys. And you can find the Buff Hub every Saturday. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great rest of your day and go Bills.